Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Open your Bible to the book of Mark again. If you'd closed it, we're going to read just these few verses again. And I'm going to give you a little, I don't want to call it, I'm going to call it a twist. I don't know if it's the right word or not. Uh, but the way I'm going to apply this today may be a little different. But just these few verses that we have here before us, beginning in verse 39 and reading through verse 41, or verse 38 through verse 41, rather of Mark chapter 9. So if you would, hold your Bible up. Repeat with me or say with me, this is God's Word. I will read it. I will believe it. I will obey it by the grace of God. I pray that you do that every day. Not necessarily that you say it out loud every day, but I pray that you are reading it every day. I pray that you're following it, believing it every day. And uh, once again, after Father's Day, we're diving back into our verse-by-verse study in the book of Mark, and now we've come to this interesting section. Now, it's all interesting, but I find it particularly poignant uh, this morning, as it goes right along with what God is, I mean, God has laid on my heart, and the passage goes right along with it. So let me get a few things straightened here in my notes. I've entitled this, What Will You Do for Jesus? What Will You Do for Jesus? And I want you to see that there are some people that were not followers of Jesus. In other words, they weren't part of the group, the disciples, the apostles. And understand that as we're reading this and as we're reading the gospel, there were the chosen 12 that were following. There were other followers. Uh, There were women, there were men, there probably were even children involved in that group. We know there were more than just the 12 because Jesus sent out the 70, two by two. And so therefore we know that there was a group that was following along or would join with him and kind of stuck around with him as he traveled from town to town, not just the 12. That's why sometimes you see where it says he took the 12 and went apart. So he got the 12 that were the disciples, and they went by themselves somewhere, but in large part, there were many. But apparently, there was another group that was not traveling with them that did also preaching or was teaching about Jesus. And so that's what we read here in verse 38. And John answered him, saying, uh, Master, we saw one casting out devils, or demons, in thy name, and he followeth not us. So he wasn't part of our group, and we forbade him, or we told him to stop it, because he did not follow, or he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. Or he that is not against us is for us, is what that's saying. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose 
his reward. Now, I want to apply it this way a little bit. For whoever of you will give a cup, because he's talking about others that were ministering in Christ's name. We're not part of the 12, but for us that minister in Christ's name and that will give somebody a cup of water in Jesus' name, he shall not lose his reward. So my question for you today and my challenge for you today to think about and consider and pray, what will you do for Jesus? There were people that were doing for Jesus that didn't just follow along with the group of Jesus. We don't have the group, the disciples to follow today. What will we, what will you do for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us today that we would be actively involved in living for you, serving you, ministering for you. But God, that we would take thought as far as what you would have us do for you and, and, and that we would make plans of what we will do for you. And God, that we would not just stop with one thing or stop with one way, but God, we would find new ways that you lead us, new ways that you direct us, new ways that you guide us into ministering a lost and dying world, a struggling world, a, even, even a believing world that has challenges and hurts and pains. And God, that we would be used by you for your purposes and for your kingdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give me one second here as my phone keeps turning off and I'm using this to adjust my, uh, my screen uh, that for you to follow along with the notes this morning. So give me just one second to fix that. And uh, All right. I want you to see this morning, as we think about this thought, what we will do for Jesus, I want to give a little bit of a hard challenge in the fact of what we do not do for Jesus. What we don't do. In other words, we are to be living for Jesus. We are to be living a godly lifestyle. We are to be following the word of God and believing God by faith. We are to be living examples and reflections of Jesus Christ or letting Jesus' light shine out of us. We are to be doing that. And that's what we ought to be doing. And that we ought to be being used by God to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ, the hands and the feet of God to reach out to a lost and dying world, to a struggling world. But there's times that we don't. And there's some of us that we don't. Even Christians, I'm talking about Christians now, talking to you, the church. And I pray I'm not talking to you specifically, but I know I'm talking to me. There's times that I don't do for Jesus. I don't when I should when I ought, when I must. And so therefore understand I'm talking as much to myself as I am to anybody else, but anybody's listening to the sound of my voice, there's times of what we, or why we don't do for Jesus. And number one really is because we don't, now there's probably lots of reasons, but we don't understand the need. We don't see the need. Now, I'm going to get to the passage here in a minute, but I just want to give you this challenge that there were people that were doing for Jesus, and he's saying, let them do it. They're doing things in my name. They can't be against me. They're for me, so let them do it. We ought to be doing, but there's times we don't, and one reason is because we just don't see the need. 
Well, preacher, I, everybody I know is saved. Everybody in that church I know goes to church. Everybody in church I know, they know that they've, they've heard. And if they're, you know, I even made this statement the other day. People here in the South, in this area in particular, if they're, especially if they're uh, of, a, of my age or older, if they're not going to church, that's by choice. They've had chance to hear. And, and so, therefore, you know, what, what can I really tell them? They haven't heard already. And so, therefore, sometimes we just don't see the desperate need. Now, I find that sometimes hard to believe because we look around, we watch the news, and we see what's going on in our world, and I don't know how we don't see the need, but there's times that I don't. There's times that I miss it. And so what we need to do is when we don't see the need, or if we're not seeing the need, we don't know the need, we need to pray that God opens our eyes to the need, that God gives us hearts that can see. And not, not just hearts that see, but you say, well, everywhere I'm at, people, they go to church. Then find a new path. And you've heard me say that before, but find a new bank branch to go to. Find a new gas station to go to. Find a new way to drive home. Find a different grocery store to go to. If, you, if everybody that you encounter knows Jesus and loves Jesus, then praise God, but find a place where they don't. Let God open your eyes to where they're at. Allow God to lead you down a different road. The Bible talks about getting out in the fields because the fields are white unto harvest. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. He also said, work now. I've got to do the work now, my father, because the night is coming when no man can work. And we know that God is going to come back through Jesus Christ in the clouds one day. And it's going to be too late for us to do the work. And so therefore, we got to see the need and understand the need. And sometimes we just got to pray, God, open my eyes to the need. God, show me who you'd have me minister to. Open my eyes to what's going on so that I can... Therefore say, okay, now I understand. I know the need. Number two reason I think that we say that, well, we don't do for Jesus is, well, I just don't have time. Right? How many of you are like me that sometimes you say, man, where did the time go? Raise your hand at me. Wave it at me. I just don't, there's not enough hours in the day. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I always thought my parents retired, and they talk about how they don't have time to do something. And I say, how do you not have time? But for those of you that are retired, you understand that you find a whole lot more things to do. And sometimes it's a real thing. We just don't have the time. Or for those of us that are younger, or those of us that are in school, or working, or family and kids, all kinds of things will pull at our attention, and we just don't find the time to do for Jesus. And we can talk about priorities, and we can talk about getting our priorities right, and realizing what really matters in the eternal, and, and so forth and so on. But really, listen, my, my family takes time. Uh, my job takes time. And so sometimes it's a real thing. But here's what I'm saying about this, is what sometimes we say we don't have time, but once again, we ought to get to our knees and say, pray that God would give us time. That God would show us how to make better use of our time. We say we don't have time, but that we would find time for what is important, because guess what? We will always find time for what really is important to us. Is that not right? How many of you have a plan or have ever gone on vacation? Anybody, let's just do it that way. Ever gone on vacation? 
Did you find time for going on vacation? Anybody not find time for going on vacation? We find time. If we want to go to the beach, guess what? We find time to go to the beach. If we want to go shopping, we'll find time to go shopping. If we want to go to the ball game, we'll find time to go or watch the ball game. We find time for that which is a priority to us. And we need to pray, God, change my priorities, but also, God, give me time. Now, be careful. <laughs> the way God get, say, fine, you don't have enough time, I'll give you some time. And maybe he finds an inopportune time to give you time. In other words, takes away something that you think you have to do. Now you no longer have to do that. Now I've got time. Number three thing is, is I think we say, well, we don't have strength. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy to do for God like I want to do for God. I see the need. I see the priority. Uh, I, I want, I, you know, I, 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 ha I think I have time. I'm making time. I just don't have the energy, the health, the strength to do it. And right? That's a real thing, right? I mean, that's, uh, again, there, either your health declines or, and I'm not making fun, but when age starts to creep up on you and suddenly you don't have the same energy that you used to have. You don't have the same, just you just, you know, I just don't have the energy to do it. I don't have the physical strength to do it. Once again, that ought to drive us to our knees and pray that God would give us the strength, but also to believe God when He says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength, that strengtheneth me. So we start to give our excuses. But let me give you another one that's a real, real thing. These, these, it's not that they're not real, but let me give you one that I think everybody struggles with. You know, some of these, may, maybe it's time for you, maybe it's strength for you, maybe it's energy for you. But we don't know how. I would do more for God. I would do more for Jesus, but I just don't know the what or the how. How do you approach somebody and tell them about Jesus? What do you say? How do you start a conversation? How do I minister to people? How can I put myself in a place where I can be used by God to minister? And we just don't know how. One of the things that we're going to be do, begin, and I'll, again, on our Wednesday night, now we have, whether you know it or not, we have three services on Wednesday night. Uh, we have a youth hangouts that takes place at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and we meet down to the fellowship hall, all student age, college age, doesn't matter. Come on down to the fellowship hall, and we have some snacks. We have some fellowship. Uh, our, our, our new praise team is beginning to work and practice as well as just fellowship together with our young children. We, we typically have a little Bible story or a lesson, but we also just kind of build relationships and fellowship together. I mean, it's been an absolute joy for me to get to know some of these little kids that, oh, yes, I know who they belong to and I know who their grandparents are or who their aunts and their uncles are, but to see and to be able to have conversations. And can I just tell you, this is a ministry of Pleasant Hill Baptist Church, and, and, and for, those, for those of us that are involved in this, it can be exhausting, but at the same time, to listen to little kids come running in the church this past Wednesday and to say to me, Mr. Preacher Guy, I'm so excited to see you. I'm so glad to get to come see you. That thrills me. 
That ought to thrill you that there's children that are excited about coming to church and having fun, but then also hearing stories about the Bible and from the Bible and learning and developing those relationships. Oh, I'm telling you, listen, there's times that we say, I don't know how, but what I started to say was this. In August, we're going to take that Wednesday night. Let me back up because I think I skipped over. That was one service. We have a second service, which is just online only on Wednesday night. And that is when I, I'm doing our regular Bible lesson, Bible study, preaching, whatever you want to call it, and I do it only on live stream. That's also posted. Now, I do it earlier in the day. It's not really a live stream because it's recorded, and then I post that to the website and Facebook and social media. That's available where you can click on it, and you can start watching anytime at 7 o'clock and on. You can watch that. And we just finished up the book of Ruth. And then we also have started, just a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, six weeks ago, we started back our in-person Wednesday night, but we are doing it as a Bible discussion. We're digging in with God. And we're going to take, beginning in August, we're going to take that digging in with God, and the focus is going to become how to share our faith, how to tell others about Jesus, or how we can find ways, how I can tell my testimony, how I can do those kind of things, and we're going to try to answer those kind of questions. A training, if you will, as we dig into God's Word and talk about how we can do that. And so therefore, we don't know how. The last one I think I've already clicked by accident is that this is not a good excuse. The other ones are legitimate. This is not a good excuse, but it is reality. We just don't care to do for God. We just don't care. He said, well, that sounds awful harsh. I'm not sure what else to call it. We just don't care to find the time, to find the strength, to find the know-how. We don't care about the reality of the world and people dying and going to hell. People that Christians that are struggling in marriages, Christians that are struggling in their walk, Christians that are struggling in, in life, and we just don't care because I care about me. And that's a reality. We don't do because, well, I don't have time, don't have strength, don't have energy, don't see the need, don't know how, or I just don't care to know or have any of those things. That's the hard part. Now I want to give you some encouraging things, all right? That's the hard part. But now I want you to see number two. So one is why we don't do. Number two is everything we do, we do for somebody. Or someone. Everything we do. I've said this many times before. I'm going to say it again because it's right here in the verse that we're talking about. Everything we do, we do for someone. I'm not For lack of time, I'm not going to have you turn to Luke. But here, if I could paraphrase, it says, For he that is not against us is on our part, or he that is not against us is for us. And if you go over to Luke in chapter 11, I'm not going to be turned there right now, but he also says, whoever is not for us is against us. Everything we do, if you're not against God, you are for God. So therefore, number two, if you're not for God, you are against God. And that really leads me to my third thing is there's no room in the middle. 
You've heard me say that before. This is one of the primary places I get this from. Everything we do, we are either scattering or we're gathering. We're either gathering people, drawing people to Jesus, pointing them to Christ, pointing them to God, or we're driving them from it. Everything we do. And you can say it another way, we're either living for God or we're living for self. And if we're living for self, that's the same as living for the flesh. And let's take it a little bit farther, that's living for the devil. You say, I'm a Christian preacher, how dare you say that? If you're living for your own desires, if you're living for your own flesh, you're living according to the sin of your flesh, and that is the will of Satan. So it's, there's no middle ground in this. Everything, you say, well, that's supposed to be encouraging? My point is this. There are people that are doing for God that may not be part of this body, this church. The encouraging thing is, is that we're not alone. We're not alone. I read a passage this morning. I put it on social media, and it, it was 2 Kings 6.16. And I don't have enough I have time to this, but I just want you to understand. We may look at ourselves and say, we're only a few. What can we do? We're not alone. Elisha. Remember Elisha? There was Elijah the prophet, and then Elisha was his understudy. And then when Elijah, when he was taken to heaven to whirlwind, he asked for, he said, before you leave, give me a double portion and if he said, if you see me go up in the whirlwind, you'll have a double portion of my power. And Elisha did great things for God, and Elisha was a prophet in the land of Israel. And Elisha, just to give you just a real quick summary of this, and, and go back and read it. It's going to be in a few weeks. It's going to be in your Bible reading if you're reading along with this. But in 2 Kings 6.16, 6, in that context of what's happening, the Syrians are trying to attack Israel. But they keep getting thwarted because Elisha goes to the king and he says, don't go that way, there's a trap. Don't go down that road, the army of the Syrians is waiting for you. And the Syrian king gets upset and he's like, how are they knowing everything we're going to do? And his servants say there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And it's as if he is in your bedchamber listening to you make your plans, and then he's telling the king of Israel. So the Syrian king says, let's go get him. Let's go capture Elisha. And he takes the army of the Syrians, thousands of chariots and soldiers, and they go and they find where he's at, and they surround the city of Dothan. And in Dothan, Elisha's servant sees the city surrounded, and he sees the enemy coming. And he gets scared, and he goes and he tells Elisha. And in 6.16, Elisha says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For there are more of us than there are of them. And the servant's thinking, it's just you and me, Elisha. What are you talking about? And Elisha prays that God would open his eyes and the servant's eyes are opened and he looks out and he sees the armies of the Syrians coming, surrounding the city. But between the armies of the Syrians and Elisha and the servant, he sees the armies of God, angels and chariots of fire everywhere in the hillside. My point is this. We are not alone. We've got God. If you're doing God's work, you have God on your side. But also, as he told Eli as God told Elijah, there, I've, I've got 
prophets that you don't know of. I've got believers and followers that you don't know of. They've never bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. And I'm telling you, church, there's Christians and believers that you don't know about doing the work of God. Just like John didn't know, the disciples didn't know, these people were doing the work of God. And I'm trying to encourage you with this, is that if those that are not against us, or those that are for us are not against us, those that are not against us are for us, there are others besides just this church, besides just Baptists, besides just this area, that are true believers. And sometimes we spend so much time arguing over the differences. Now listen, I'm proud to be a Baptist, I'm proud to be a Southern Baptist, but when people believe rightly the Word of God and the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't need to get so caught up in arguing and fighting over whether you have Baptist after your name or whether you, wear a, or whether you go at a certain time of day of church or not and say, you know what, we are in this together. We are not fighting for our kingdom. We're, what we do, we're, we're not alone. Let me get to that part. We're not alone. We're not in this alone. Uh, this is not our kingdom that we're trying to build. We're working on building God's kingdom. That's what God is doing through us, is building God's kingdom. Very quick, because I've got so much I want to get to. I want to get to the nut of this, and that's the, the meat part of this, and that's the fact that what we do, or what you do, what I do, does not have to be complicated. I get that from the fact that he says, okay, so you're not alone, because there's other people that were not part of their group, and they were doing the work of Jesus, and Jesus said, go ahead and let them. They can't be against us. They've got to be for us. There's no middle ground, but they are. They can't speak evil of us, because they're doing work in, in my name. And so therefore now we see that there are others working as well. We're not alone. We're not just a few. But also what we do doesn't have to be complicated because verse 41, he says, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink. Chloe, I'm going to embarrass you just for a minute, all right? Not too bad, though. Can you hand somebody a cup of water? Could you do that? I mean, not right now, but you could, right? Right? Lucas, you back there? You could hand somebody a cup of water, couldn't you? Anybody can hand a cup of water. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes we think, I've got to find the biggest group, or I've got to find the best way, or I've got to find this really elaborate thing. No. The, what Jesus is saying, if you do so much as give a cup of water, you're not going to lose your reward. Simple as giving a cup of of water. I think too many times as Christians we get away from the in-person system of, of sharing Jesus. What I mean by that is just going out and telling somebody. I realize that in today's world it's more fearful or more dangerous to go door to door. That doesn't mean we can't do it, but I understand that used to be nobody locked their doors and nobody would ever uh, break into somebody's house around here, and now we got locks on our doors, locks on our church. Um, it's different. I get that. That doesn't mean that we stop the in-person just telling somebody. 
walking through your neighborhood and you see people walking by and learning just to be able to share Christ with them. Say, you know what? Build a relationship and walk along with them. And as you're walking along with them, they're walking their dog. You can tell them about Jesus. There's something about just not getting away from the in-person system. Or, by the way, call somebody and say, well, I can't do that. Then maybe what you can do is you can be somebody that calls somebody. Somebody that hasn't been in church in a while. Somebody that you know is not in church. Maybe you go to their house and you visit them because you have a relationship with them. Or maybe you just pick up your phone and you call them and say, hey, would you like to go to church with me this week? I'm not going to ask you how many, a few weeks ago I said, will you this week invite somebody to church? I'm not going to ask you to, to, either, to either boost you up or to knock you down how many actually invited somebody to church. I'm not going to ask you that right now because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or puff anybody up. What I'm saying is we ought to be doing that. We ought to be calling people and saying, hey, we missed you. Hey, is anything okay? Can You know, you have been in church in a while. Or, hey... I would love for you to come to our church. And by the way, it doesn't just have to be inviting them to church. Let me tell you about Jesus. But maybe it's someone that you know that used to go to church, and they don't anymore. And so they know about Jesus. But you say, you know what? Hey, we would love for you to just come and be part of Pleasant Hill. Or just, hey, encourage them to get in church. Maybe they don't live around here. One of the challenges for me and my family is we don't live in the Six Mile community. That's been a challenge for eight years, and we made the decision because it was easier for my wife and kids to go to school, and my wife teaches at school, and they're going to go to Oakwood, for the, unless God moved us, for them to go there because they go to that Christian school for free because she teaches there. And so, therefore, it was easier for them to go five minutes of school than 40 minutes to school, and easier for me to drive 40 minutes to church and the office and the community than it is to drive five minutes. I mean, as far as that situation made more sense. But it's been a challenge because most of the people that I invite to church or tell people about Jesus in Anderson aren't going to drive all the way up here. But I'm not just in it for this church. I'm in it for God's kingdom. Not just my kingdom, not just Pleasant Hill's kingdom, not just the kingdom of Six Mile Central, but God's kingdom. And so it doesn't matter where you're at, at the beach or in the mountains, wherever you are, you can tell people about Jesus, encourage them to go to church, encourage them to get in God's word. You say, well, I'm, I'm not really good at talking. Then use the mail system. I told you, beginning part of this year, we're going to be giving out more ways to, for you to get involved, for you to minister. And I'm going to start putting out lists of people you can call. Now, most of these you know, but people that you can send a card. You say, I can't, I'm not good at talking. Then send a card. Send a postcard. Just tell somebody you're praying. Send a text. We'll get into that in a minute. But send a card. And I'm going to start putting out lists of names and addresses. Just say, hey, these are church members. Or, again, if someone gives me a name and we can send them a card and say, hey, I know you've been in the hospital or I know you just had surgery or whatever it is. Or not stuff that's super personal, but I just want to know we're praying for you. And, 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 and we want to be there for you. And God loves you. You say, well, that's old school stuff. Well, some of you, that's your thing is old school stuff. 
But you know what? There's also this thing called the internet and technology. I'm going to give you a hard time for a minute. I don't use social media to keep track of everybody's business. Some people do. They want to share all their business. They want to keep track of everybody else's business. That's what some people use it for. That's fine. I, for the most part, use social media to promote the gospel. I don't mean that bragging. I just mean if you go back and you look on my social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, even Twitter, it's Bible verses. It's devotional thoughts. It's things about this church, things that we're doing. Can I, again, I know not all of you use social media, but if you do, can I encourage you in something? I'm going to be putting out more stuff. Share it. Share it. You can share. Some of you do use social media. I see it. Or you text. I receive texts from you. Or you email, and you can take the link. I'm going to be putting out ways where you can send that out. Because if I put it on my Facebook wall, I put it out where anybody can see it. But for the most part, it's only a handful of people. Now, I've got a 1,000 friends or more on Facebook, but not everybody sees it. And here's something interesting about social media. The more you comment, even just an amen or uh, like something, the more other people, not just you and your friends, we'll see it. The more it shows up, it's called an algorithm. My point is this. One of the things that a lot of these churches do that are growing right now, they get out and they tell people, number one. But number two, they use social media to share vacation Bible school, for example. I put out posts. I put out uh, invites. I put out uh, evites about our vacation Bible school. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody, and I'm not going to brag on anybody, but this person will know who I'm talking about. I had one person who shared my post about Vacation Bible School. One. You say, well, I don't do social media. No, but how many people did you invite to Vacation Bible School? How many people are we inviting to come to church? How many people are we inviting to know about Jesus? I'm putting out the, the, the sermon that we record, that we put out on Facebook, you can take, and if you share that on your wall with your friends, if you use social media, or you take the link, there's a link that you can take, and you can email it out, or you can text it out and say, hey, watch this. Or, hey, here's this. I'm not saying for my glory. That's not what I'm saying. But the more you do it, the more people see it. And the one thing for sure in this church, we may, I may not do a lot of things well, but I'm going to tell you how to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to share that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I'm going to share that we ought to read our Bible and, and believe by faith. People need to hear that. And so what I'm asking you to do is share those things. If you use social media, share them. You say, well, I don't use social media, but I, I do email. Then I'll give you the link, and you can email the link and write a short little note saying, hey, this was our message from Sunday, or hey, this was a devotional post that my preacher posted. Check this out, and they can go check. They don't have to have social media. It's a website. They can go check it out themselves. My point is this, there's all kinds of ways that we can share the gospel, and I think we've got to start doing them. It's not that hard. You say, well, I'm just not physically able to go out anymore. Then do it from your phone. Do it from your telephone. Do it from your cell phone. Do it from your computer. 
He said, well, I don't, then send out a postcard. It's as, he said, well, I don't know who to minister to. It's as easy as ministering to everyone. It's as simple as giving a cup of water. It's as easy as ministering to everyone. Because here's what it says. In my, it, it, for whosoever will give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ. You say, well, so the person, if I give it to someone that belongs to Christ, I won't lose my reward. You don't know who belongs to Christ. Now, there's other passages about how we're just witnessing and, and crowns that you get for winning people to Christ, but we don't know. There's a whole parable about wheats and tares and how we can't tell the difference, and I don't know your heart, and you don't know mine, and I don't know my neighbor's heart. There's some people I've got a pretty good idea. They're probably not people of faith. And I've got others that claim to be of faith, and maybe they're not. That's not my job to figure out. So my point is this. Minister to everybody. It doesn't have to be the rich person, the famous person, the popular person. In fact, it starts out talking about in the verses before this and the verses after about children. And what it means is the least of these, the, the, the most insignificant of these. And there, from there on up, because by nature we're going to want to make a connection with the wealthy person, the rich person. But what we do for Christ, do for everybody. It's, it minister to all people. I'm about out of time, so let me just say this. What you will do, what you will do, whether, whether you're living it out, and by the way, we ought to be living it out and shouting it out. He said, well, I'm living for the Lord. I'm leading a good example. Then open your mouth and tell them. Tell people. We're not alone. You're not the only one. But we can do it together and we can join in with a chorus of others that are believers and are telling people. And Paul said in a passage, he said, some plant and some water and some harvest. Don't worry about which one you are. Just do the work for God that he leads you to do. It will not go to waste. Your reward will not be lost. The rewards you get in heaven. You can lose a lot of things in this life. Landon lost his wallet the other day. Found it again, praise God, but I've lost my wallet before. Found it again. Another time I lost my wallet, didn't find it again. Had to call you know, the credit card, the bank, the debit card, the driver's license, all that kind of stuff, and say, I've lost my wallet. There's all kinds of things we can lose. We can lose our investments. We can lose our job. We can lose loved ones. We can lose all kinds of things. You cannot lose reward. What you do for God, you cannot lose. That ought to be an encouragement to us. And the other encouragement, which is not right here in this passage, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you anyway, is God's word will not return void. What you do for God will have an impact. You may never see it, you may never know it, you may never realize it, but understand it by faith. What you do for God will have an impact. There are people in this world that are still being saved. There are people in this world that are still having their lives changed. There are people in this world that are still having relationships healed and God is working in their life to heal relationships and to heal hearts and to heal families and to heal friends and to lead people to Jesus Christ and to come to Him. We live in a wicked world. I understand that. But no matter how wicked it is, there's still people that are being saved. 
Did you know that right now there has been a rise in young people coming to Christ? Did you know that? For years, and sometimes we, it feels like, man, nobody's getting saved. Right now, there is a revival that seems to be breaking out among young people. Do you want to know why? One, it's, it's God doing it. That's the, the main reason. But number two, these young people are looking and seeing the broken world that we live in that has become so clearly, so obviously broken and ruined that they're saying there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something else. There has to be an answer. And there are people that are finding Jesus as the answer because he's the only answer. Doesn't matter how good you are, you still need Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad you are, you're not so bad that you can't be saved by Jesus. And I close with this illustration. Have you ever heard the name Henry Morehouse? Anybody ever heard that name? Anybody? I didn't think so. Till I heard the story, I hadn't heard it either. Henry Morehouse was an evangelist, a great evangelist. But he never had big crowds. In fact, he went oftentimes to small towns and would have a revival or have a revival services for a week or for a few days in a small church. Wasn't a big name that people know like Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or, or D.L. Moody. Wasn't like that, but he was every bit a great preacher. And he typically preached almost always the same text. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, as the story goes, Henry Morehouse was preaching a little mining town, and he preached that simple message of John 3.16. And as he was doing this revival in this little church, in this little mining town, there came, there, there was, in that same town, there was a man named Ike Miller. Ike Miller was the biggest man in town, the strongest man in town. And Ike Miller hated God, he hated church, he hated the Bible, he hated Jesus, he hated everything about it, and when he learned about this evangelist who's coming town, he hated perhaps more than anything else, Henry Morehouse. And he told the people of that town, and word got back to people in the church, he said, if he, doesn't, if he preaches one more night, I'm going to come over to that church and I'm going to pistol whip him out of town. The people went to Henry Morehouse and they said, I think we need to cancel the meeting tonight or get somebody else to preach. And Henry Morehouse is like, why? And he said, well, this Ike Miller, he's a drunkard. Uh, he's, he, he, he's just a, a bad person. And this is what he has said. And Henry Morehouse prayed and he said, I prayed about it. God wants me to preach tonight. And so he went back to the church and he began to preach and he began to preach on John 3.16. And as he began to preach in John 3.16, Ike Miller busted in the door as the service was starting, as he was getting ready to preach and just starting to read the text. He busted in the door, stormed to the front, and sat down in the front row and folded his muscular arms as if to say, you do your thing and then I'm going to do mine. Henry Morehouse preached John 3.16. And he preached that God so loved the world. And because God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for it. At the end of the service, he 
gave an invitation, and the first person to stand up was Ike Miller. And everybody kind of held their breath. Was he going to go forward? Was he going to get saved, or was he going to go forward and start a fight? Ike Miller stood up, spun on his heels, and walked out the door, busting the doors open in the back, and walked out the door. He then walked into town and walked through town and walked to the other side of town. And then he walked down this road, this dusty road that led to a dilapidated gate and dilapidated little small poor tiny house. And with his big fist, he busted open that door and he walked in and he saw his wife pale-faced and his children scattered under the bed, afraid that their drunkard father had come home in a rage. And that mother kind of shielded herself, or shielded the children from him and stood between them and the children that had crawled under that little one-bedroom house in the bed. In a big voice, Ike Miller said, Woman, get the children and come over here. Those children were scared, and that woman called the children to her and held them behind her skirt, and they came to him, and she was ready to take the beating that she had taken so many times before to protect her children. And he said, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I want to pray. He said, bow your heads and let's kneel down. And as he did, they were just struck with awe that their drunkard daddy would want to pray. And as he opened his mouth, he said, dear God. No words came out. They said, oh, Lord. No words came out. You see, Ike Miller didn't know how to pray. Ike Miller knew how to curse, and he knew how to drink, and he knew how to beat his wife, but he didn't know how to pray. And then he remembered the childhood prayer of his mother, and it went something like this, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, Forgive my simplicity and bid me come to thee and forgive my sin and wash me new and wash me white as snow. And that night, Ike Miller, because a simple little preacher, a simple little person, a simple little town told him about Jesus. How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear? How can they hear? How can they be saved unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And that little preacher told him about Jesus. And Ike Miller fell to his knees, repented of his sins, and got saved. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Ike Miller has told that story thousands of times. As he's shared this in meetings across the nation years ago. About what God had done for him. And what God can do for you. And it was because somebody had the audacity, the courage, the strength, the time to tell him. It wasn't complicated. It was God so loved the world. And my friends, what will we do? We've got the truth. We've got the good news. We've got the gospel. We've got God on our side and in our corner. We've got more of us than we possibly can imagine. And I'm telling you, what will you do? What will I do for Jesus? Let's pray.
We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.